Join me as I pray. Father, those words that we just heard read are weighty words. They're words that it's even difficult to come and stand up after hearing them. But Lord Jesus, you came and you gave your life so that we could have life. We ask that you would move in a mighty way in our lives right now. Please do not let any of us leave here untouched or unchanged by you. We ask that you would come and do above and beyond what any of us could ask or imagine. And so we make our prayer come Holy Spirit. Take these words, bring them to life for us, transform us by your grace more and more into the image of Jesus. We come submitting our hearts and our lives in his name. Amen. Well, it wasn't at all what they expected to happen, was it? You just heard the story read. We began with it, Jesus' triumphal entry going into Jerusalem that week before he was going to go to the cross. And there were all these bystanders there, followers of him, Disciples who, as he rode along on this donkey with their palm branches and their cloaks, placed them along the road because the king was here. The king was finally coming to take his rightful throne in Jerusalem and defeat the enemy and give them peace and freedom and a new life. You see, they had no idea, though, what was about to take place. They had no idea that this one that they hailed as king would end up later on a cross dead. They had no idea that through his death would come new life. You see, they had no idea that Jesus was showing them in every move he made a new way of life. There's a gospel truth that I want us to look at today, and it's it's a truth that's really counterintuitive, counterintuitive to how we think, to how we live. But friends, I will tell you this, it's a truth that when we get it, it actually changes how we live our day-to-day lives. It changes what we invest our time in, what we invest our energy in. It changes the way we think and give our money. It changes the way that we interact with people. And this truth, I will tell you, is counterintuitive as it is. It's a truth that will bring you not just new life, but a passion and excitement and a joy in life if you grab hold of it. And this is the truth. The way down is the way up. The way down is the way up. I want you to say it with me if you would. I want you to get this. The way down is is the the way way up. You just heard it, didn't you? In in the gospel narrative from Mark, the, the way that Jesus didn't just come into Jerusalem and live those last few days, it really sums up the entirety of his life, doesn't it? That what we see as Jesus was a man who lived the way knowing the way down was the way up. In other words, he lived for the sake of others. That's the challenge before us this morning. The way that Jesus lived is the life that he calls for you and me to follow. Not to just follow and say, okay, I'll do this or I'll do that. But it's a life that we are called to give all of ourselves to. That we too, like Jesus, would live for the sake of others. The Apostle Paul 
sums it up in one word in the book of Philippians. Humility. That Jesus came to live a life of humility. And one of the greatest passages in the scriptures that speak about the humanity and the humility of Jesus is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. So I want to read it. Follow along as I read. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Powerful words that Paul writes that truly sum up the life of Jesus. Where Jesus lived this life of the way down is the way up. Living a life of humility. There's two questions that I want to bring before us this morning. Speaking about this, living for the sake of others. The first is this, what is humility? How do we understand what humility is? And secondly, how do we truly become a people who live for the sake of others? So first, what is humility? Paul describes it pretty clearly here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I'll read them again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, when you heard the gospel narrative read a few moments ago, did you see this? Did you notice this about the posture of Jesus, about the way that Jesus interacted, even the way he entered into Jerusalem? You see, this describes the life of Christ. He lived for the sake of others. He had an others-centered orientation about himself. Jesus always put others before him. He thought about the needs of others before his own needs. And he cared more about the reputation of others than his own. See, clearly we recognize that Jesus is one who truly embodied what it meant to live for the sake of others. This life of utter, true humility. But we can't just stop there to understand humility. We've got to keep going and seeing what Paul wrote because he takes us down even deeper to understand what this life of humility, not just of Jesus, but for you and me, is all about. And so in verses 5 through 8, let me read these again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see what's going on here? 
Speaking about when Jesus came and was born into this world, we read that though He was in the very nature God, He emptied Himself. He made Himself nothing. Now, how do we understand that? Well, here's how we begin to understand. First, we have to understand He was still God. (laughs) He was still divine. He didn't take away His deity. That was still a very part of who He was at His core. He still had all of his divine attributes. But what we see here is he laid aside all the privileges that were his in heaven. I mean, think about it. The the, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in, in perfect communion together, Jesus comes and is born into the sin cursed world. And what does he do? He takes the form of a servant. God took the form of a servant. I want you to think about this for a minute. I, I hope you let this soak in. If not in this moment when you walk out of here, that you will give yourself time to really meditate upon this. But consider this. The Son of God left all the glory He had in heaven. And He entered into this sin-cursed world, taking the form of a servant, You see, the God that we rejected, the God that we turn away from, the God that we sin against every single day came among us, taking the form of a servant. You see, you know what he could have done? Jesus could have come among us with all of his fury and anger shooting out of his eyes because of our sin and what an abomination it is before a holy God. And he could have come to condemn us. You know, that's what we were owed. That's what we were owed. But you know what he did? He came in the form of a servant who was condemned for us so that we could find life. You see, he stooped low, lower than you and I can ever imagine in order to do what? To lift us up. Friends, you want to know who God is? You want to know who Jesus is? He is the God who came and took the form of man who stooped so low that he gave up his life. He bore our curse on the cross so that you and I could have life. Talk about grace. God is a God of incredible grace. Jesus lived for the sake of others. And what we find is this, the way of Jesus now becomes the way of life for you and me. I want you to think about that. The way of Jesus becomes the new way of life for you and me. Now, when I read this passage in Philippians 2, I don't know how you feel, but there's a great tension that I feel. We're seeing the the selfless humility of Jesus, thinking of others first. And I've got to be honest with you. I wasn't thinking about you first when I walked in here this morning. <laughs> and, and I bet if you're honest, you weren't thinking of me first. <laughs> you were thinking of you and I was thinking of me. Isn't that how we tend to live our lives? <laughs> Instead of living our lives for the sake of others, what do we do? We turn it around and we live our lives for the sake of me. I would say for most of us, maybe all of us, I think if we're probably honest have an unhealthy preoccupation with ourselves. 
We think of ourselves way too much, don't we? You know, the natural inclination of our hearts is to do just that. I was thinking about this the other day. Many of you are familiar with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. Years ago, Bill Bright came out with the four spiritual laws. Do you know what the first spiritual law is? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Do you know what we do? We take that spiritual law and we turn it on its head and we say, I love me and I have a wonderful plan for my life. That's how we live. Now, no, we wouldn't go and say that to anybody, but think those thoughts that go through your mind. What do your actions show? You see, the natural inclination of our hearts, of our lives is really to promote ourselves, isn't it? And now we do it in all these subtle different ways, so it's not all that blatant. But we're all inclined to promote ourselves. We want others to see how great we are. We want others to see how significant we are. We want to be significant in their eyes, don't we? So let me ask you a couple of questions. What are the things that you do to make yourself more significant in the lives of others? Where do you promote yourself? What are those subtle ways that you tend to promote yourself so that you have that, that persona that you want everybody to see about you? How about that resume that you've established? Might be pretty darn good. <laughs> How often do you lead with that? Even in your mind. You know, the Apostle Paul, this, this man who had a tremendous resume of, of all the things that he did is this, this righteous Jew of his day. What did he say about his resume? It was rubbish. It meant nothing in light of the new identity that he had in Christ. So where do you promote yourself? How do you promote yourself at work? How do you promote yourself on the ball field when you're playing golf? How do you promote yourself at school? How do you promote yourself in your own home? You see, this is where the challenge comes, isn't it? It's where we realize we really don't live our lives for the sake of others. So the question is this, how do we do it then? <laughs> what does it look like for you and me to really have such a change of mind and a change of heart that we begin to lean into living our lives for the sake of others? That's the second point I want us to look at for the next few moments. In Philippians 2, verse 5, we read this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, what we find Paul saying in this passage is this. We see that, that, that Jesus is not just an example of humility. He's the source of humility. He's the source of it. You see, you and I can't muster it up on our own. Oh, we can fake it and we can do it, well, sometimes, but it's not going to last and it's not going to be truly authentic until we go to the one who is the source of humility, and that's Christ himself. You see, while our natural inclination is to live for ourselves, when we realize who we are in Christ, that we are a new creation in Christ, we realize that we actually now have the mind of Christ. You see that? You see, for those who are followers of Jesus, we have a new constitution about our lives. 
we really are a new creation and we really can live in a very different way than we're accustomed to. We can live out the life of Christ because he lives in us. You see that? One of the most powerful things about what we learn about the Holy Spirit is when Jesus ascended up into heaven, he gave the Spirit to the church, which means he now lives and dwells in each of us who follow him. Now, you want to talk about a new constitution in life, a new way of life. It is leaning into and operating out of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who's alive in us every moment of every day. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is this, and this is crucial. The Spirit reminds us who we are and whose we are. We need it, don't we? Because we forget all the time. And the reason why we forget, that's why we go promote ourselves. The Spirit says, no, you're a son, you're a daughter of the living God. That's who you are. You have been redeemed. You are a new creation now. Friends, when you know who you are in God's eyes, can I tell you something? You no longer have to try to prove yourself to others. When you know who you are in God's eyes, that he is your father and you are a son, a daughter, you don't have to try to put yourself first or build a resume or get people to see how successful you are and have been. None of that matters anymore. You know why? Because God sees you as a beloved son and daughter. And you can never have a higher position in life than that. You know, we've been talking the past five weeks during Lent about leaning into a Sabbath way of life. Part of leaning into a Sabbath way of life, I said numerous times, was the call to cease striving. Friends, it's the same invitation for us today. When we lean into who we are in Christ, we are able to cease striving And we can now live for the sake of others. There's a great example of that. Back in 2018, do you remember the story when Pete Davidson, who's on Saturday Night Live, spoke out against Dan Crenshaw, a newly elected congressman from Texas? Some of you might have read the story. Maybe some of you saw it on Saturday Night Live. But Pete Davidson, one of the actors, um, mocked Dan Crenshaw because he had a patch on his eye. Had a patch from an injury, being a Navy SEAL in the war. And Davidson made kind of some derogatory, snide remark. And he said, I know he lost his eye in the war or whatever. Just blasting him. Well, ironically enough, Pete Davidson got a lot of backlash on that statement. A lot of people in the media and a lot of people around the country just came on him hard. And as a result of that... Pete Davidson spun into this deep, deep depression. At one point, he put on an Instagram post, I really don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm doing my best to stay here for you, but I actually don't know how much longer I can. I want you to think about it. Dan Crenshaw, who could have come and defended himself, who could have joined the crowd of people slamming Pete Davidson, he could have done all that. Do you know what he did? He reached out to him privately. He sought to, bef- to befriend him. He wanted to encourage him and speak life-giving words to him. And in one of the conversations they had, Crenshaw told Davidson that everyone has a purpose in this world and that God put him here for a reason. 
You see, instead of building himself up, Crenshaw, instead of making him look good again, what did he do? He stooped low to help this man who was very low. And he befriended him and he spoke truth and he was an instrument of hope and life in his life to lift this man up who had cursed him. What a picture of humility. What a picture for us today of a life living for the sake of others. You see, Dan Crenshaw wasn't worried about his reputation. He cared about a man who was suffering. And that's the invitation we have this morning, isn't it? It's to come to see truly that the way down is the way up. That living for, for the sake of others is the way to live and experience the fullness of life. Think about this. What would happen if you began to see the people around you, the people that you know, and even the ones you don't know, as image bearers of God? What would that begin to do in your thought toward them? Maybe they're people you don't even really like, but, but begin to go, wait a minute, they're an image bearer of God. I want to treat them in that way. What would it look like to get to know them enough to call out their glory? Lift them up. You don't need to promote your glory. You already have it in Christ. And it frees us to get low, to, to lift others up, to show them their glory. I mean, think about that as a mom or a dad to your kids. Show them the glory that's in them. For your spouse, friends, to live in that way. Friends, that is life. So I want to end with this question for you to think about. What will it look like for you? What will it look like for you to live for the sake of others? What will it look like for you to live for the sake of others in your home? What will it look like to live for the sake of your spouse? What will it look like to live for the sake of your children? Brothers or sisters, what will it look like for you to live for the sake of your brother or sister? <laughs> A little harder then, huh? What will it look like to live for the sake of others at your place of work? What will it look like to live for the sake of others? Where is God calling you to lay your life down to lift someone else up? In saying all of this, I need to say this. We're all going to struggle with this because it's counterintuitive. So I want to encourage you in this. When you struggle with humility, when you struggle with setting yourself aside, when you struggle with serving someone else, when you struggle with putting someone else's interest before your own, when you struggle with truly getting down on your knees to lift someone else up, can I tell you where to go? Go to the cross. Go to the cross. Go to the cross. Remember the story that we just heard read. Remember that God came into this world to save us. And that he did it by giving up his life to serve us. And then we will be reminded that we have the mind of Christ to do what you and I cannot do on our own. So friends, as you journey ahead in this holy week, there's a lot going on in your lives. There's a lot going on all around us. My prayer is that you would find a way to slow down. 
Find time to step back. Read the story again. Find yourself in the story. That you would find your life coming more alive as you go down to lift others up. Amen? That, friends, is the way of life. Let me pray. Gracious Father, I I come trembling before your word this morning because it is such a challenge for me. But I thank you for the call. And Jesus, I thank you that you have made a way forward and you have shown us a new way to live. Father, through your grace, Jesus, through your presence in us, through your Holy Spirit, would you enable us to do that which is counterintuitive to us? that which is not humanly possible on our own, but as ones who are filled with your Spirit, may we be known here at St. Andrews that they are a people who go down to lift others up. And may we see the gospel explode in this community because, Jesus, we carry your presence with us. Come use us. We bless you. Amen.